Good evening. Let's start with a prayer as we're going to be looking into God's word. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Lord, thank you that the psalmist recognised the importance of your word. Lord, please help all of us to learn from it this evening. Amen. Well, as we've seen, our passage is Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 to 2, 4. So if you could open your Bibles, I'd be very grateful. Aesop, the Greek writer of fables, told a story about four oxen and a lion. The oxen were all in one field and the lion was prone to attack. But whenever the lion approached, the oxen would get into a, a tail-together formation so that their horns were all outward and the lion couldn't get near them. But then a problem started. The, there was a rift between the oxen and they stopped talking to each other and they went to different parts of the field. And you can imagine the lion had a heyday and took them out one by one. The message of Philippians is very much about this need for unity in churches. You see, there's no hint of doctrinal error in the Philippian church, not like the letter to the Galatians. No, the Philippians were doctrinally true to the apostles, but there's another problem. They didn't get on with each other. So the important point in this letter is that we must be united. In Philippi, there were squabbles and rivalries. And Paul is longing to re-establish a harmony between the various camps. Look, look down at chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. You see, that was their problem. Look, look, look back earlier, uh, 1, 15 to 18. Some preachers were envious and being rivals. But the gospel they taught was the true gospel. It was centred on Jesus. Look at one one fifteen. They preach Christ. At one seventeen, they preach Christ, the real Christ. One eighteen, Christ is preached. But their motives were unsound. Envy, rivalry, and partisanship had crept in. There was also an, an anti-Paul feeling. You see, such difficulties are not just in the early church. They occur in modern churches too. And they're utterly destructive. Look, look on to 4 verse 2. There's another example here. I plead with you, Odia, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind 
in the Lord. See, these two key Christian workers, they just can't get on. They need help for the sake of the gospel. It really is a myth to say that the, the early church was ideal. Oh, they had many great uh, advantages. They were passionate about the gospel and about evangelism. But they were people and they had their problems. But at least their problems were problems of life. They weren't the problems of, of death. I remember a, a local church uh, in Bulldog that was doctrinally sound. They had their regular meetings, but no outsiders came. We were just a little group of people met together. Very few members couldn't pay their bills. It was the problems of death. These problems, the problems at Philippi, are problems of life. They are out to change the world. Now, when new people join a church, these problems can uh, rise up. The, the old guard like it as it is. But actually the problems of life are very good for a church. New ventures can lead to a clash. Uh, but much better to have to deal with these problems of how we can grow. How life can continue to grow in the church than just to exist. You know, Protestant churches have often been accused of, of being uh, divisive, particularly by Roman Catholics. But you need to understand why these various divisions have occurred. You see, much divisiveness is caused by new life. Look at, look at the Reformation. Surely it's impossible to deny that the breakaways from the power of Rome was vital if the gospel was going to grow, if it's going to be rediscovered. You couldn't continue in the same old way. These people who were behind the Reformation weren't inherently factious. They didn't want to break away. In fact, they all longed to be united. And Cranmer, one of the leaders of the uh, English Reformation, he was a, a gentle soul, very scholarly. In fact, his, his library was uh, larger than the library of Oxford and Cambridge universities together. Yet he saw that the scriptures had to be the authority of God's church. Well, we've got the same problems today. A, a whole group of friends in the Reformation time were driven to separate because this new life was returning to the church. And they had to stand by that even above politics. But unfortunately, some divisiveness is shameful. Uh, Dr. S uh, Stephen Neal, Bishop Stephen Neal, 
he said, the inveterate habit of evangelicals devouring one another over microscopic divisions of opinion precludes the possibility of unity. It's shocking, but actually there's a, a lot of truth there. Can you see what really matters? Paul stresses this here. Look at 121. But for me, to live is Christ. 123. I desire to depart and be with Christ. See, it's the Lord Jesus that his life revolved around. Now, obviously the question is, can we all say that? Does my life revolve around living for and pleasing the Lord God, who's revealed himself in Christ? If you can say that, then you're a Christian. If you can't say that, well, beware, because there's a real risk you're not a Christian. Now he applies what this means to the uh, Christians in Philippi. Look, he says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Have you ever thought that if you have a, a hundred uh, instrumentalists tuning up their instruments, if they all do it according to one tuning fork, and they do it properly, then they'll all be in tune. So Paul in the same way is saying, look, if you're all in tune with the Lord Jesus, then there will be great harmony. Whatever happens, what's that mean? Uh, what's it referring to? Well, just look back to the earlier bit, uh, 1, 20 to 24. It's Paul's trial and his judgment. Whatever happens in my trial shouldn't change anything. You, he writes to the Philippians, are committed to living for Christ, whether I'm executed or whether I'm freed. Live according to what benefits Christ. How can we be united in the Lord Jesus? Well, a stand has to be taken. Look at 28. I know that you will stand firm in the one spirit, the spirit of Jesus. There's going to be opposition, family, friends, workmates, even people inside the church. But remember what Jesus taught us? You know, just in the upper room, that final teaching of Jesus, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. So it's not whether there'll be opposition. If we live for Christ, opposition is promised. What matters is how we respond to it. See, God says to us, stand together, united for Christ. I mean, here we are, people of different backgrounds. We've been brought together to have faith in Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And it's wonderful. 
wherever you go in the world, go to China, go to Ethiopia, go to South America, and you meet Christians who love Jesus, and there's a bond that is there immediately. It's a wonderful thing. But will you notice verse 27? It's not automatic. It says, striving together. This is hard work. The Spirit motivates us, but we've got to put into practice. We've got to be hospitable. We've got to be kind. We've got to be thoughtful. You see, the church is here to glorify the Lord Jesus by demonstrating in our lives that he matters more to us than anything else and sharing the news about him as we talk to people. We invite them to come to church. We say, look, would you like to join us at Exploring Christianity? As a result of this, we've got to learn to be fearless. Look at 28. You see, the problem they had was the same as us. They, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Now, we're all scared too. Asking people to come to church or read a book or come to Exploring Christianity is not easy. Nobody finds it easy. You, you learn ways to get through it. Why don't we do it? Well, I suppose most of us say, I'm, I'm afraid they might be offended and they'll reject me. Well, look at 28. Taking a firm stand means being bold for the Lord Jesus. The, the Greek word used here for taking a firm stand comes from a wrestling match. In, in Greek times, the wrestlers would be in two teams, uh, all opposing each other. And when the, the bell went, they'd all attack the others, helping each other. That's the word here. There the wrestlers were writhing around. But here we are as a church, striving together to overcome the opposition, helping each other, teaching people what God has said in his word. We must stand together for the sake of Christ. Now let's take a break there before we come back to look at what this means. Disunity can be so destructive. There's a church that started a youth group on an estate. They used their church building. They wanted to build bridges with the local community. But within a few weeks, there were real frictions amongst the leadership. It broke down over the question of whether girls are allowed to wear trousers in a church building. <laughs> Now, the devil's prime strategy is to divert Christians from the work that we have to do. You see, we Christians are a sign to the world. Look at 28b. This is a sign to them that they'll be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. What, what is? It's striving together is the sign working together for the honour of the Lord Jesus. It's so, so matter of fact, 
there's only two roads that people can go on. Jesus taught this. Then the signpost says heaven or hell. And Jesus said that only a minority of people will go to heaven. No one goes to heaven deservedly. No one goes to hell unwillingly. We've all chosen our fate. Those who go to hell have chosen to reject the salvation that Jesus offers. C.S. Lewis said this, Heaven is a place for sinners who trust in God for salvation. Hell is a place for sinners who choose not to trust in God for salvation. That's it. Well, heaven then is a place where not good people go. No, heaven is a place where bad people go. You see, bad people either go to heaven or they go to hell. But never undeservedly. And if they go to hell, it's never unwillingly. They have chosen to reject God's salvation. But too often, Christians are like a little group of individuals who moan and groan about the state of the world and the state of their church and can see everything that's wrong. Do you remember the two on the road to Emmaus? Uh, their life had collapsed. They said on the way, we had hoped, but everything's gone wrong. You know, it's all over. You know, so many Christians are like this. They're giving up. You know, church is in decline. We're not effective. But do you remember what Jesus said to those two? How foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Then they recognised Jesus and their life changed. They took the long journey, the seven miles walk, back to Jerusalem. What to do? To tell the news. And psalm 73, classic psalm, Asaph. Uh, he looked around and he was depressed. You know, as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You know, really down. But such thinking is infectious. Asaph goes on. He knows that a whole church can be influenced by this negative way of thinking. Look at 15 of Psalm 73. If I'd spoken like that, I would have betrayed your children. Yeah, how we think and behave influences others. But then Asaph wakes up. I entered the sanctuary of the Lord. Then I understood their final destiny. You see, each one of us is a sign to those around us. Some of the signs are covered up. We're assigned to people here in North Hearts. Let's determine never to cover the sign up. What keeps us going straight? 
It's always the word of God. That's what unites Christians. I love the sign above the tent in Keswick. Do you remember that? All one in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what denomination we come from, what our background is, what our social class is, whatever it is. No, we're all one in Christ Jesus. We all live under the authority of God's word. So we've got to be a sign to our world. That's how we stand for Christ. We've got to be fearless. But the consequences of this will be, I'm afraid, a struggle and suffering. Please excuse the alliteration. Some people find it helpful. It's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, verse 29, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. See, we are wrestlers together in the ring. And it's God who's permitted all the problems that we face. He really is in control. He has our best interests at heart. He knows what our adversaries are up to. He knows our weaknesses. But he remains in complete control. Trust him. Jesus had to go through the torment of Gethsemane and then the torture of the cross. But God was in control. It was a horrendous, unfair death. But he knew his father was sovereign. You see, Jesus taught us that we must live by faith, obeying God whatever the cost, standing firm. He did just that himself. And the joy is he's given us his Holy Spirit so that we have the strength, the strength of character to do just the same. If you would be a Christian, go on, go on, go on, go on, as that African lad said. Go on obeying God's word, living by faith, living for the glory and the reputation of the Lord Jesus. It said that Abraham Lincoln, uh, during the American War of Independence, used to meet regularly with a, uh, a group of senior Christians to pray. And one of the ministers said, Mr. President, let's pray that God is on our side. And Abe Lincoln said, no, let's pray that we are on God's side. That's what's important. We must stay faithful, whatever life throws at us. See, suffering polishes our characters to make us like Jesus. It's one of the instruments he uses. Well, the last point, the stirring of the Spirit of God. Look, look at chapter 2. It reminds us of this powerful forces that unite Christians. If there's any encouragement in Christ, well, certainly there is. Aren't you encouraged by the way the Lord Jesus pressed on, regardless of the cost, to honour his Father? Any incentive of love, the love of Christ, that love seen in fellow Christians, doesn't that motivate you to want to be the same? It's like a magnet. People from different backgrounds all 
living for Christ. Is there any common sharing in the spirit? Of course there is. We've got a united purpose. The spirit's work is that the world may believe God sent Jesus. In, the, in his final prayer, and in the upper room, Jesus goes on, May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them. That's 1723. The real work of the Spirit is not divisive. It brings, he brings unity, not disunity, unity in honouring the Lord Jesus Christ. If there's any tenderness or compassion, that wonderful, wonderful spirit that enables us to empathise with other people's needs. Do you not know that? Paul's saying, if all these things are yours, then complete my joy by being of the same mind. We must make working together for the glory of Christ our top priority. It's not easy. Look at verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Make Christ, not myself, my priority. This is what enabled Christians to look after the sick in the epidemics, because they weren't that afraid of death. They were careful, but they knew something was bigger. We're not asked to have a pseudo-humility like Uriah Heep. It doesn't mean that we should deny the gifts that we've each been given. Oh, that's stupid. Uh, it does mean that we've got to be open to other people and to put their needs first, to act in a way that will advance their understanding, their godliness. Look at verse 4. Look to the interests of others. So, the point of this passage, we've got to be united for the Lord Jesus. We're all here for the cause of Christ. And so we've got to be fearless. We are assigned to our world. We're assigned to each other. And this will mean that we will struggle, we'll suffer, but this will help us mature as Christians. So let's be stirred on by the Spirit of Christ that we see both in Jesus and in other Christians. Be encouraged. Look at 127. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. J.C. Ryle said, Keep the walls of separation as low as possible and shake hands over them as often as possible. This is what we've got to be. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you've given us your spirit. Thank you your spirit is one that brings unity, that the world may know that the Lord Jesus, our creator, has entered this world to save us. Help us, Lord, to be his representatives, each one of us, for your sake. Amen.